the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. Yes, indeed, here we are. Thank you, folks, for being in your place as well tonight as we start another reading through the book of Ezekiel. We are reading the books of Ezekiel and Daniel for the next two or three weeks, actually, before we go back and pick up again in the New Testament, right after the book of Hebrews, the books of James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, and Third John, and Jude all the way up to the very last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. We'll end at the end of October, and then another run around the bases, another time through the Scriptures. Since 2001, we've been making our way through the Bible every year. We are picking up tonight in Ezekiel chapter 6. Ezekiel is preaching to the Jews who are in the exile over in Babylon, while Jeremiah preaches to the Jews that are back in Judah, both of them preparing the people for the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple. So we'll pick up there. I'll give you a little bit more background. Right now, though, let's return to the longest psalm in the Bible, Psalm 119. We're picking up at verse 81 on the Bible Life. Psalm 119, 81 through 96. I faint with longing for your salvation. But I have put my hope in your word. My eyes are straining to see your promises come true. When will you comfort me? I am shriveled like a wineskin in the smoke, exhausted with waiting. But I cling to your principles and obey them. How long must I wait? When will you punish those who persecute me? These arrogant people who hate your law have dug deep pits for me to fall into. All your commands are trustworthy. Protect me from those who hunt me down without cause. They almost finished me off, but I refused to abandon your commandments. In your unfailing love, spare my life. Then I can continue to obey your decrees. Forever, O Lord, your word stands firm in heaven. Your faithfulness extends to every generation as enduring as the earth you created. 
Your laws remain true today, for everything serves your plans. If your law hadn't sustained me with joy, I would have died in my misery. I will never forget your commandments, for you have used them to restore my joy and health. I am yours. Save me, for I have applied myself to obey your commandments. Though the wicked hide along the way to kill me, I will quietly keep my mind on your decrees. Even perfection has its limits, but your commands have no limits. Psalm 119, 81 through 96. This is my desire to honor. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. I hope that is your desire. I hope that in your heart of hearts, your bottom line core desire in this life is to acknowledge the existence of the true and living God, to pursue Him and respond to God with all your heart, seeking to obey His commands, commandments that are good, moral, pure. That's what we're seeing in Psalm 119, this longest psalm, longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses, almost every one of the verses speaks about the beauty, the power, the purity, the wisdom, the truth of God's word. As God's people, our cue is to hear him and obey his word. And I hope that is the impulse of your heart. Now, I know we're tempted. I know that there are other things that call our attention. We get distracted by the things of this world. But then we confess that to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm so sorry I got messed up there and I got distracted. Thank you that by the blood of your son, Jesus, the Messiah, I'm cleansed and forgiven. And now, Lord, by your spirit within me, transform my life. Just as Ezekiel told us the other day, write your laws not upon a stone that I would read them and try to conform to them, but write them on my heart, on my mind. Change me within so that I desire and long for the good and pure and holy and righteous things that represent your character. That's our prayer, and that's what God is doing. That's the gospel message. Now, it's wonderful to see the big picture of the history, the biblical narrative, but also these details are so beautiful as well. Right now, we're in the time of the exile, and this man named Ezekiel, he turned 30 years old. We read about his call to ministry in our last program, and now we pick up at chapter 6. Ezekiel is going to begin to warn the people. That's his primary purpose of the book, warn the people, tell them why they were taken into exile because of their sin and their their wickedness, their immorality, their abandonment of God, and their breaking of God's commands, just as we in our culture and society seem to be doing today. He tells them why they're being punished. He dispels any hope of a short, painless exile. No, he said this is going to be exactly what was told, 70 years of exile. It's going to be difficult, but God is going to purify the nation by this time of punishment. And he brings hope for God's restoration. And he calls the people to renewed faith and obedience in God and looking forward to his restoration on the Bible life. Ezekiel 6, 1 through 10, 22. Ezekiel 6. Again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, look over toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. Give the mountains of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the mountains and hills and to the ravines and valleys. I am about to bring war upon you, and I will destroy your pagan shrines. All your altars will be demolished, and your incense altars will be smashed. I will kill your people in front of your idols. 
I will lay your corpses in front of your idols and scatter your bones around your altars. Wherever you live, there will be desolation. I will destroy your pagan shrines, your altars, your idols, your incense altars, and all the other religious objects you have made. Then when the place is littered with corpses, you will know that I am the Lord. But I will let a few of my people escape destruction, and they will be scattered among the nations of the world. Then when they are exiled among the nations, they will remember me. They will recognize how grieved I am by their unfaithful hearts and lustful eyes that long for other gods. Then at last they will hate themselves for all their wickedness. They will know that I alone am the Lord, and that I was serious when I predicted that all this would happen to them. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Clap your hands in horror, and stamp your feet. Cry out, Alas! Because of all the evil that the people of Israel have done. Now they are going to die from war and famine and disease. Disease will strike down those who are far away in exile. War will destroy those who are nearby. And anyone who survives will be killed by famine. So at last I will spend my fury on them. When their dead lie scattered among their idols and altars, on every hill and mountain, and under every green tree and great oak where they offered incense to their gods, then they will know that I alone am the Lord. I will crush them and make their cities desolate from the wilderness in the south to Ribla in the north. Then they will know that I am the Lord. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Ezekiel 7. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to Israel. The end is here. Wherever you look, east, west, north, or south, your land is finished. No hope remains, for I will unleash my anger against you. I will call you to account for all your disgusting behavior. I will turn my eyes away and show no pity, repaying you in full for all your evil. Then you will know that I am the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. With one blow after another, I will bring total disaster. The end has come. It has finally arrived. Your final doom is waiting. O people of Israel, the day of your destruction is dawning. The time has come. The day of trouble is near. It will ring with shouts of anguish, not shouts of joy. Soon I will pour out my fury to complete your punishment for all your disgusting behavior. I will neither spare nor pity you. I will repay you for all your detestable practices. Then you will know that it is I, the Lord, who is striking the blow. The day of judgment is here. Your destruction awaits. The people's wickedness and pride have reached a climax. Their violence will fall back on them as punishment for their wickedness. None of these proud and wicked people will survive. All their wealth will be swept away. Yes, the time has come. The day is here. There is no reason for buyers to rejoice over the bargains they find or for sellers to grieve over their losses. For all of them will fall under my terrible anger. And if any merchants should survive, they will never return to their business. For what God has said applies to everyone. It will not be changed. Not one person whose life is twisted by sin will recover. The trumpets call Israel's army to mobilize, but no one listens. For my fury is against them all. Any who leave the city walls will be killed by enemy swords. Those who stay inside will die of famine and disease. The few who survive and escape to the mountains will moan like doves, weeping for their sins. 
Everyone's hands will be feeble. Their knees will be weak as water. They will dress themselves in sackcloth. Horror and shame will cover them. They will shave their heads in sorrow and remorse. They will throw away their money, tossing it out like worthless trash. It won't buy their deliverance in that day of the Lord's anger. It will neither satisfy nor feed them, for their love of money made them stumble into sin. They were proud of their gold jewelry and used it to make vile and detestable idols. That is why I will make all their wealth disgusting to them. I will give it as plunder to foreigners from the most wicked of nations, and they will defile it. I will hide my eyes as these robbers invade my treasured land and corrupt it. Prepare chains for my people, for the land is bloodied by terrible crimes. Jerusalem is filled with violence. I will bring the most ruthless of nations to occupy their homes. I will break down their proud fortresses and defile their sanctuaries. Terror and trembling will overcome my people. They will look for peace, but will not find it. Calamity will follow calamity. Rumor will follow rumor. They will look in vain for a vision from the prophets. They will receive no teaching from the priests and no counsel from the leaders. The king and the prince will stand helpless, weeping in despair, and the people's hands will tremble with fear. I will bring against them the evil they have done to others, and they will receive the punishment they so richly deserve. Then they will know that I am the Lord. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Ezekiel 8. Then on September 17, during the sixth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, while the leaders of Judah were in my home, the sovereign Lord took hold of me. I saw a figure that appeared to be a man. From the waist down, he looked like a burning flame. From the waist up, he looked like gleaming ember. He put out what seemed to be a hand and took me by the hair. Then the Spirit lifted me up into the sky and transported me in a vision of God to Jerusalem. I was taken to the north gate of the inner courtyard of the temple, where there is a large idol that has made the Lord very angry. Suddenly the glory of the God of Israel was there, just as I had seen it before in the valley. Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, look toward the north. So I looked, and there to the north, beside the entrance to the gate of the altar, stood the idol that had made the Lord so angry. Son of man, he said, do you see what they are doing? Do you see the great sins the people of Israel are doing to drive me from my temple? But come, and you will see even greater sins than these. Then he brought me to the door of the temple courtyard, where I could see an opening in the wall. He said to me, Now, son of man, dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and uncovered a door to a hidden room. Go in, he said, and see the unspeakable wickedness going on in there. So I went in and saw the walls engraved with all kinds of snakes, lizards, and hideous creatures. I also saw the various idols worshipped by the people of Israel. Seventy leaders of Israel were standing there with Jaazaniah, son of Shaphan, in the middle. Each of them held an incense burner, so there was a thick cloud of incense above their heads. Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the leaders of Israel are doing with their idols in dark rooms? They are saying, The Lord doesn't see us. He has deserted our land. Then he added, Come, and I will show you greater sins than these. He brought me to the north gate of the Lord's temple, and some women were sitting there, weeping for the god Tammuz. Have you seen this? he asked. But I will show you even greater sins than these. Then he brought me into the inner courtyard of the Lord's temple. 
At the entrance between the foyer and the bronze altar, about 25 men were standing with their backs to the Lord's temple. They were facing eastward, worshiping the sun. Have you seen this, son of man, he asked? Is it nothing to the people of Judah that they commit these terrible sins, leading the whole nation into violence, thumbing their noses at me, and rousing my fury against them? Therefore I will deal with them in fury. I will neither pity nor spare them. And though they scream for mercy, I will not listen. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Ezekiel 9 Then the Lord thundered, Bring on the men appointed to punish the city. Tell them to bring their weapons with them. Six men soon appeared from the upper gate that faces north, each carrying a battle club in his hand. One of them was dressed in linen and carried a writer's case strapped to his side. They all went into the temple courtyard and stood beside the bronze altar. Then the glory of the God of Israel rose up from between the cherubim where it had rested and moved to the entrance of the temple. And the Lord called to the man dressed in linen who was carrying the writer's case. He said to him, Walk through the streets of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of all those who weep and sigh because of the sins they see around them. Then I heard the Lord say to the other men, Follow him through the city and kill everyone whose forehead is not marked. Show no mercy, have no pity. Kill them all, old and young, girls and women and little children. But do not touch anyone with the mark. Begin your task right here at the temple. So they began by killing the seventy leaders. Defile the temple, the Lord commanded. Fill its courtyards with the bodies of those you kill. Go! So they went throughout the city and did as they were told. While they were carrying out their orders, I was all alone. I fell face down in the dust and cried out, O oh, Sovereign Lord, will your fury against Jerusalem wipe out everyone left in Israel? Then he said to me, The sins of the people of Israel and Judah are very great. The entire land is full of murder. The city is filled with injustice. They are saying the Lord doesn't see it. The Lord has forsaken the land. So I will not spare them or have any pity on them. I will fully repay them for all they have done. Then the man in linen clothing who carried the writer's case reported back and said, I have finished the work you gave me to do. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Ezekiel 10. As I looked, I saw what appeared to be a throne of blue sapphire above the crystal surface over the heads of the cherubim. Then the Lord spoke to the man in linen clothing and said, Go in between the whirling wheels beneath the cherubim, and take a handful of glowing coals and scatter them over the city. He did this as I watched. The cherubim were standing at the south end of the temple when the man went in, and the cloud of glory filled the inner courtyard. Then the glory of the Lord rose up from above the cherubim and went over to the door of the temple. The temple was filled with this cloud of glory, and the temple courtyard glowed brightly with the glory of the Lord. The moving wings of the cherubim sounded like the voice of God Almighty and could be heard clearly in the outer courtyard. The Lord said to the man in linen clothing, Go between the cherubim and take some burning coals from between the wheels. So the man went in and stood beside one of the wheels. Then one of the cherubim reached out his hand and took some live coals from the fire burning among them. He put the coals into the hands of the man in linen clothing, and the man took them and went out. All the cherubim had what looked like human hands hidden beneath their wings. 
Each of the four cherubim had a wheel beside him, and the wheels sparkled like chrysolite. All four wheels looked the same. Each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it. The cherubim could move forward in any of the four directions they faced without turning as they moved. They went straight in the direction in which their heads were turned, never turning aside. Both the cherubim and the wheels were covered with eyes. The cherubim had eyes all over their bodies, including their hands, their backs, and their wings. I heard someone refer to the wheels as the whirling wheels. Each of the four cherubim had four faces. The first was the face of an ox. The second was a human face. The third was the face of a lion. And the fourth was the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose upward. These were the same living beings I had seen beside the Kabar River. When the cherubim moved, the wheels moved with them. When they rose into the air, the wheels stayed beside them, going with them as they flew. When the cherubim stood still, the wheels also stopped, for the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Then the glory of the Lord moved from the door of the temple and hovered above the cherubim. As I watched, the cherubim flew with their wheels to the east gate of the Lord's temple, and the glory of the God of Israel hovered above them. These were the same living beings I had seen beneath the God of Israel when I was by the Kabar River. I knew they were cherubim, for each had four faces and four wings and what looked like human hands under their wings. Their faces, too, were just like the faces of the beings I had seen at the Kabar, and they traveled straight ahead just as the others had. End of reading, Ezekiel 6.1 through 10.22. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone, every breath that I take, every moment I'm away, Lord, have your way in me. This is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. This prophet Ezekiel and his messages to the people of Judah, explaining to them why they have been taken into exile into Babylon, how long they're going to be there, that it would be a lengthy exile, and that they are to return to their God. They are to have a revival, a time of repentance and awakening, even a thousand miles away from their homes, away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, that God is there and they can know him and experience his presence and his power and his love, his forgiveness, his provision and guidance for their lives there in Babylon. That's his message. Remarkable individual, this Ezekiel, for one, is a tremendous level of obedience. At age 30, he begins to preach there on the streets of Babylon to this people that have been devastated. They've really been traumatized. Many of their friends and neighbors and family members have been killed. Early on, Ezekiel takes the hair shaved off of his head and off of his body, and he puts his hair in three stacks that would show the three different ways that people would be killed, some of them dying in the siege of starvation and suffering, some killed by soldiers in battle, and others killed in the time of exile, fleeing away from Judah and away from Jerusalem. So they're traumatized, and here God is telling them, I haven't forgotten you. 
Yes, you are being punished. You've become as sinful and wicked and perverse in your ways as the people who had no hope, who had not heard about the true and living God. Ezekiel stood and he received God's message. He shut himself inside his house as he was told to do. Remember at this point now in chapter 6, God had told him not to speak unless you are speaking messages from me. You're not to have normal social intercourse. Look at chapter 3, verse 24. Go to your house, shut yourself in. You will be tied with ropes so you cannot go out among the people. I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be speechless, unable to rebuke them or even speak to them, for they are rebels. But when I give you a message, I will loosen your tongue and let you speak. So Ezekiel is only speaking what God tells him to speak, delivering faithfully those messages. He has used drama. Remember, he drew a map of Jerusalem on a large clay tablet or brick. And he lay on his left side for 390 days. He lay on his right side for 40 days, indicating the sins of both Israel, the ten tribes of the north, and of Judah. I've read many different interpretations of those 390 days. The ones that seem most logical to me are those 390 days represent the 390-year period, counting back from the destruction of the temple to the time when Solomon died. Jeroboam led the ten northern tribes in rebellion against the house of David, God's anointed king. He set up golden idols in the north and southern part. Jeroboam led the ten northern tribes into rebellion against God, into idolatry, approximately 390 years before the time of the temple's destruction. Those 390 days that Ezekiel lay on his left side were representing the sin of Israel in the north. The 40 days seem to correspond mostly to the time of Manasseh. Manasseh reigned for 50 years, actually, but there were 10 years of co-regency with his father, Hezekiah. Manasseh led Judah into an incredibly wicked, evil time. So that seems to relate to the 40 days. Some people would say that related as well to the 40 years that followed the coming of Messiah, Jesus, his death on a Roman cross. Forty years later, the temple was destroyed again, this time by the Romans. A lot of interesting details in the passages. We see the idolatry in the temple, terrible wickedness going on. Again, Ezekiel is telling the Israelites there in Babylon why God has chosen to judge them. And you and I living uh, 2,500 years later, we cannot understand this idea of judgment, the perversion and the wickedness that must have been there. God chose and knew that this was a time that this people needed to be judged. God understands that. He has a sensitivity and and an understanding of sin and wickedness and perversion more than we. I wonder how God thinks of us as Americans, how we have abandoned the true and living God in the gospel of Jesus Christ in our times as well. This remarkable vision that Ezekiel has in these chapters, Frank was just commenting to me about how, man, this would make a tremendous movie if we had the capability, the special effects, to show this vision and this powerful moment in the life of Ezekiel. Well, I don't know if Hollywood could do it or not. They would not have the capacity, I suspect, to understand what was going on. But remember here, God is revealing in this vision to Ezekiel. In the first vision that Ezekiel had, the point was that the judgment is coming from God. God is the author of this. It's not just happening by coincidence or natural situation. God is doing that to you. First lesson. Second lesson, the reason for the judgment is idolatry, perversion, killing of children, violence, all of these reasons. The Bible Live See you next Sophie time. Dollar, Sophie Reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndall House Publishers. 
The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.